has lost its way. What kind of coward would do something that cold-blooded? Someone who hides behind a mask. I used to think that my life was a tragedy. Now I realize it's a comedy. If you just smile. Okay, we're recording. Hi, Sarah. Um, so we're about to record our mini-sode of Joker, which feels like it's been like two years in the making. I know. <laughs> yeah, so exciting because we've known about the making of this film um, over a year ago. We've, we started seeing some uh, photos being leaked from the set, so we knew it was in progress. And then, of course, the the trailers dropped. So it's been it's been exciting. I've been anticipating this uh, for a very long time. You have actually. Could you speak a little bit about that? Because I know that probably some of our viewers know that if they follow you on Twitter, <laughs> um, but maybe some of them don't. What has been? What is it that has kind of drawn you to this film? Because you're not really. Neither of us are really a superhero. No, film. not at all. You know. That's right. What is it? Basically, my, my, all my socials now are just like Joker fan pages. If you're still following me, I, I really appreciate you. <laughs> I'm not a superhero person. I'm not a really a comic book person at all. But okay. I absolutely adore the Joker character. He is one of my favorite fictional characters of all time, if not my favorite, the best for me. Um, so for me, the appeal is just, um, I feel like he, it's, a, it's a very good archetype for looking at like psychological processes, mental illness, but also philosophy, in particular nihilism. And yeah, so he just appears, appeals to me. I like his aesthetic. I like uh, how he looks. Um, I like, I do like his jokes. Um, <laughs> I find them funny. But yeah, I mean, what about you? Like, where does he figure in terms of your appreciation of like these types of characters? I mean, I suppose, yeah, I think I was quite surprised when you first brought up this film. Mm. I was like, really? Are we? I wouldn't have imagined that you would be interested. Um, and I have to say that it's not been a interest of mine although for me it's the Jack Nicholson joke ah, yeah. that has been the one that I've been interested in yes um, I suppose um yeah I mean it's ne yeah it's never as you know like I tend to be if I'm interested in a in a Gotham character it'll be Catwoman yeah um because that's very kind of like you know a way of exploring femininity but I suppose yeah. Joker's kind, kind of what's been interesting is I think Joker's kind of almost um a queer character ah yeah so i don't think i think like in terms of i think that that kind of series is like quite a sort of an archetypal series about kind of masculinities it's a very like male focused series of characters mm -hmm. but joker seems to be kind of outside those kind of masculine norms and yeah. I think with all all versions of his character like all everyone who's played played him i think is done it in a way that they've taken the character outside of masculinity in a certain way. That's and so true. And I think you've been saying that as well, because there's been a lot of response to this film about 
sort of incels yes and toxic masculinity yeah and been saying it's not it's nothing it's not about gender that's right. Yeah, you're right. It's so true. He is a very sort of like unconventional representation of masculinity in the sense that he wears makeup. Um, he's very image conscious because he met his love interest, uh, Dr. Harleen Quinzel, which is obviously not explored in the Todd Phillips film. But in terms of what we know about him in general, he met his girlfriend when he was sectioned at Arkham Asylum. Um, so that's an interesting, like he fell in love with the psychiatrist, basically. So um, I, I, I like all those kind of iterations about him because I, I, I like that he's flawed, like that appeals to me. Um, but I've, yeah, like I, I think it, my interest in this film is initially it was purely just as a fan looking forward to seeing the film. Um, it was basically my main event of this year. My main film event of this year is Joker. Uh, I put it on at the very top of my best of 2019 list, even before I watched it. Like that's how <laughs> that's how much of a super fan I am. And everybody said you're setting yourself up for disappointment. You know, you you built it up too much. Now you might not enjoy it. And in fact, it surpassed my expectations. At the time of recording, I've watched it three times already. <laughs> Yeah, it's made a big contribution to its, um, to its financial success. <laughs> I made a big dent. Yeah. I mean, um, yeah, and it's it, it did not disappoint. Uh, so, but it's, what's it, what's interesting for me is that after seeing the film and kind of standing back and absorbing some of the criticism around it, some of the things that have been written about it. It, it occurred to me that my fascination is now twofold because I'm, I, I love the film and I love engaging with it, but I'm also really kind of morbidly fascinated with the way that some people have decided to interpret the film in a purely negative way. And I personally can't relate to that, but it is fascinating to see a conflicted response, I guess, because it reminds me so much of how some people related to A Clockwork Orange and some other kind of like, let's say, uh, quote unquote, problematic films have been received in the past. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is like, I, I think it's been maybe about sort of 10 years since I noticed there's a film like this every year. Yes. And I just didn't expect it to be this one. I was, you know, like last year it was The House of Jack. Yeah. But frequently it's a Lars von Trier film. Yeah. <laughs> I think the first time I noticed it was Antichrist. That was, yeah. the, like, which was like 2009. Yeah. So that's about the first time I noticed it. The Killer Inside Me, you know, all of these, you know, these films that, you know, they're almost kind of courting that kind of response. Mm -hmm. That's what's so strange that this year, I think it's this one. Yeah. And I don't think it, I don't think it deserves it. Like, no. You know, not even, not that Lars von Trier necessarily deserves it, but he kind of sets himself up to do it. Yeah. Whereas this just came out of nowhere and became the controversial film of the year. Yeah, that's and so true. And I wasn't expecting it. I was, I just, I, even as it, it was coming out, I was, I didn't expect that it, this would be the one that I know I've just suddenly realized this is the one, this is the, that film of this year that people are kind of so kind of carried away by emotionally that they can't be critical. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, I, th I think I put, I put myself in that as well, in the sense that because I I'm in the other extreme of loving it as much as I do. And sometimes I, I, I mean, I'm quite conscious of the fact that I'm not going to have a purely objective uh, opinion on it, because I, 
I absolutely adore the Joker. I think he's, I think he's very cool, and I, I understand something about him. So I, I may not, and and then and the thing is, like, I don't particularly aspire to, um, even have like a let's say a purely objective, dispassionate opinion of it. But what I would never do is disqualify people who might just feel indifferent about it, or people who might say, "Oh, yeah. it's not really my thing." Where I do feel very strongly is a lot of the what I like to dub them as the concerned commentariat <laughs> a lot of them who've come out and and disparaged it so much as to uh I think willfully misrepresent it and also discourage people from watching it I think that's a step that's 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 a bridge too far for me and I think that's actually yeah. quite that's that's toxic behavior because I I don't believe that anyone has the right to to dictate what people watch or don't watch, you can say, "Ah, oh, I didn't like it," but you give it a go and see how you, you know, how you perceive yeah. it. But to just, you know, those, you know, those, and maybe they're just clickbait articles, but they all, they all start like, "I watch Joker, so you don't have to," as if they're doing us a favor. This, this is ridiculous, you know, and I yeah. take a very strong stance against that. Well, I completely agree with you in terms of. I mean, I think that. Any film that kind of gives you the opportunity to be so like coldly critical is not really doing the job of cinema. Yeah. And I like I think that this film reminded me of what was my favorite film of the year, which is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Oh God, because, yeah. I mean that was also very divisive. Yes. Um, and I was asked, um, and I, as you know, like I that film was like a profound viewing experience. For you me. loved like, it. I felt, I felt like. I haven't loved something that much since I was a teenager. Oh. And that like I mean that completely like uncritical just like joy. Oh. And I and I felt myself being called upon a lot to defend that position, you mm-hmm. know, against against a lot of criticism. Mm-hmm. And it's a, it's one of the you know it's one of the all I could say was I I don't know it was just it just felt like love. Like wow. it didn't and so, and I feel the same. That this film is quite similar. Yeah. <laughs> in the sense that you know it's like people are just very emotional about it either one way or another yeah that should be what cinema does for you you know and I think especially I'm quite a fan of cinema that kind of takes you I I think there's a bit of a problem I mean I don't think there's a problem with being aware of of you know problems in the industry and problems with you know diversity and Mm. all of the way you know the ways that we can go further but I think there's a little bit of a growing trend of like of just like guilty like everything's everything makes you feel guilty yeah you know and everything is like this very kind of judgmental guilt it's mm-hmm. not actually helpful and doesn't actually move anyone forward no no um, i agree um and i think that the nice thing about joker is that it kind of was like it kind of removed itself from even a moral conversation and it did became became something completely different yeah, I completely agree. I, I, and I, I am with you on that. I think that, you know, representation is important. And, um, you know, making sure that, that, you know, there is a cer- certain degree of sensitivity, like in, in telling stories, I think that's all fine. But where that behavior gets into the kind of realm of a neurosis about policing ourselves and each other about what is acceptable and not acceptable to consume even in a critical way, I think that that actually, that, that's a dangerous territory because now 
that's for me that's the antithesis that's that's the enemy of art because artists sometimes they will grapple with really dark material and uh-huh. those des- those stories deserve to be told like i actually i'm shocked when i see some people uh in their reviews of joker making the case that i think not convincingly trying to say that joker is a problematic representation of mental illness because of the way he suffered it's you know so it's it's, it's it becomes a weird uh discourse where at at on the one hand, we're being told that our culture needs to evolve and we need to have those um, voices heard and people who are mentally ill sh- you know, ought to be represented cinematically. But then when it is, it's like, oh, not like that. Well, oh my God, yeah, one hundred percent. I agree with you one hundred percent. I mean, actually, this conversation, oh, this conversation could go on forever because there are so many. It brings up so many things. Yeah, we're kind of struggling with as a society today, and I think one of them is this mental hashtag mental health awareness. Oh yeah, which makes, which I actually saw a really good quote about it the other day, and I have no no idea who said it. So if you said it, then write in. But it said something like mm. it pathologized it like. Or it sort of further pathologizes like anxiety and depression. Like it makes it into like it makes anxiety and depression, which are you know like a terrible mental illnesses, but like are sort of to a certain extent the human condition. Mm-hmm. Sort of elevates them to these like very very serious mental illnesses in need of medication, and then makes invisible mental illnesses that are just like less attractive. Wow, you know, and and I agree with that absolutely to a huge extent. Me too. Um, and I think the, the the very I think we've said this before with so many films, but like mental illness, it's not it's 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 going to make people feel, you know, it's it is uncomfortable and it is like it's not attractive, it's not glamorous. Mm. And I think this was a really honest and brave portrayal of it yeah. because if you really really want to help and you really really want to be accepting, you have to like you have to be able to be in a room with with these with someone like that yeah. and like be empathetic to them and it and that's clearly what some people found so so difficult it's difficult to struggle with mental illness and the best the best joke in that film is when he writes down and he never tells it out loud no or when he writes down the thing about mental illness is that people expect you to act like you don't have a mental illness yeah and I just and I just remember just thinking that's so perfect that's such a perfect yeah, line it is it absolutely is. It captures that suffering so well, and it, mm-hmm. and the paradox within the the reality of, of 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 feeling those mental disorder symptoms, but not actually having a license to engage with it, process it, and relate to other people through that prism. And mm-hmm. and the thing is, like as myself, you know. Um, uh, as uh, as a sufferer of anxiety, like uh, clinical uh, anxiety, um, when I watch a film about mental illness and the character is shown to suffer um, in a very authentic way, without also the burden of having to resolve the narrative they're in, they're just depicted. Um, I really appreciate the darker elements of that because 
it makes me feel less alone. It makes me feel yeah. like I can, you know, I'm not the, the, the sole, you know, singular weirdo out there that no one else can relate to. Like some, this is this might even be a shared experience. Maybe it's something much more broad than, you know, reaches far, you know, much further than me. And, and on top of that, it's also actually really strangely comforting, like a catharsis to, to have th that experience reflected back to you in a very honest way. And you don't, because I, I have this theory that all the people who are making the claim that the film went too far in depicting Arthur, Arthur Fleck's illness, um, that, he, you know, he, it shouldn't have been done in that way. They're basically arguing for mental illness to be de depicted in much more hushed terms. To me, that feels gaslighting because it's telling sufferers, no, you, know, you, you don't get to have your experience reflected back to you, you know? It's like a yeah, denial of their experience. The people that are saying that, I think there's like a very kind of deep-seated like repression going on. I think there. so. It's like, I think maybe people that don't give themselves license to experience those kinds of yeah. like extremes. Yeah. Um, and that maybe, yeah, may, I don't know, maybe have like family cultures of kind of repressing mental illness a little bit or not talking about it. There was something that I wanted to respond to. Someone else was talking about the the bleakness of the world around him yes as well and how it was unrealistic and i just thought that's like it's so that's so silly to take your like worldview as a healthy person of yeah. the world, which i mean i would argue is not healthy i mean if you like watch like hyper normalization well, oh, it's yeah. sort of you know we actually we're just all in, in complete denial about how terrible the world is because we can't handle it yeah. but when you are when you are really ill like the world changes yeah. like the world that you're living in is that brutal and that horrible and that sort of full of rejection yeah um i don't think that was i think it was a depiction of the world as the director sees it i think it's the depiction of the world as someone suffering from mental illness yeah. would see it and it really is that bad it is that bad and it, there's no point in like imposing trying to impose your reality on someone else's just to make them feel better exactly it does the opposite it help <laughs> Yeah, even if it, you know, and even if you know that you know it's not true that someone's kind of alone or that someone's mm. you know you know being rejected or whatever, but like it's their experience, it's their true experience. That's what's happening to them, and yeah. you'd kind of have to. Uh, I mean, it's, you can disprove it, but you start off by empathizing with it a little bit, you know. I agree. I could not agree more. And that that actually is the first step towards a positive resolution of how we treat people. If you know, if the first port of call is immediately to deny the suffering of that person because, you know, your your own subjective reality is completely different. What everything you say after that is going to be tantamount to like cheer up or it's all in your head. I mean, it's that patronizing. I what do you think about its representation of violence? It's a funny one because it's like Todd Phillips has taken some liberties in terms of like representing the Joker's origin story. So we know it's in Gotham City. There's there's the elements of the the Wayne family. We we know that we're in that kind of universe, although it's not officially in the 
I think, DC universe. And it's presenting this kind of hypothetical origin story of the Joker. When, when we see Arthur Fleck, we see that initially he's very much caught up in almost like a structural violence, like a social economic violence in terms of living in poverty. We know that he's had struggles uh, with mental illness historically. He's had He's been sectioned before. So there's all of that wrapped up in the taboo of his disorder. He, he's a rent-a-clown. He even gets physically assaulted on the job. <laughs> So he's already kind of mired in this lifestyle that where there is a lot of violence directed at him, whether it's physical or structural. And so when the kind of transformation takes place and we see him morphing into this Joker supervillain that we all know, and then he starts to, you know, we see him committing willful violence, which are kind of also infused with some very sort of like Todd Phillips style humor as well. <laughs> I'm thinking of like The Hangover and Borat. I mean, Todd Phillips was one of the writers of Borat, which is interesting. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my most hated <laughs> film. You know how much I hate I know. Film. <laughs> it's awful. <laughs> so when, when, that, when that starts to happen... I can kind of understand the juxtaposition of very bloody, gory, brutal violence being paired up with crass, vulgar humor. I can, I, I do understand like the some of the public response that this is almost like depicting violence in a very casual way, in a very sort of like flippant way, and that is irresponsible. That that the character should be shown to absorb the full you know like ramifications of their actions and this character doesn't and I think that actually um, rather than looking at the film too reductively and interpreting all the violence in it as like in, from a moralistic uh, standpoint I think it's actually much more helpful to look at it purely allegorically and in an archetypal way where the violence is represent just like you said earlier about hypernormalization um, just just like an, a symbol for the terrible state of the world in general and the, the indifference of how we've kind of grown desensitized to extreme injustice and violence all around us every single day. This particular character, the Joker, his adaptive mechanism now, like the way that he's found to respond to this terrible state is to just laugh at it all. I mean, it's actually quite, it's, it, it, it's, it sort of um, aligns with Albert Camus' theory about how to deal with extreme violence. And he recommends absurdism in terms of like just perceiving brutal injustice and your own suffering and trauma in the way that it's unavoidable. And we can try our best to make everything better. But w when we inevitably fail, we can just take it in our stride and see the funny side. I mean, I know that that sounds a bit like sociopathic. No, you know what I mean? Yeah. What do you think? Actually, really interesting. I think that's that's something I should. I feel like I've been recommended to read that recently, so I should give it. I should give it a read. Like give Camus like thoughts on Camus philosophy a read. If I'm allowed to spoil, yeah, which I think it's quite difficult to avoid doing. I found the brother theme very interesting. Ah, okay in this film because you know the like the suggestion in this film is that the joker and, and bruce wayne are brothers are half brothers yes um and i think i just i think that i found it so interesting with 
um, my kind of struggle with my relationship to violence mm-hmm. and sort of seeing other, just generally everyone struggle with their relationship to violence. Because I think it's something, I think it's something that can happen to us all. Mm-hmm. We can all be sort of, I think that we're all much closer to being the instigators of violence than we like to think. And in so many ways, violence of language, violence of bullying, something that we really are like deeply ashamed of and we really kind of repress. So I think for me, I think I found something quite personal in the depiction of violence in the film. I felt like it had something, what the film was saying about violence had something a little bit to do with the brother narrative. Yes. In the film, the idea that the Joker may or may not be Bruce Wayne's brother. Yeah. Um, And I think that socially we're kind of, we kind of separate ourselves from the idea of violence. It's something that really, really repels us and horrifies us and fills us full of guilt. Mm-hmm. But I think we're all kind of we all it's, we're all just really a few steps away from committing some kind of violence, whether that's like verbal or you know we all there's always someone we have like power the power to hurt, yeah, um, or to bully or to systematically impose violence upon. Yeah, it doesn't even have to be physical. But also, I think physical violence. It, you know, it happens a lot. It can happen. Everyone is capable of it. I think so, and it's something. And I think, I mean, I have evidence. I am. I've definitely had a time when I've been in like a very, very low state mentally. Yeah. And it did result in a couple of violent episodes, which I'm still uncomfortable and filled with guilt about. Mm. You know, I still, I still find it really, really hard to kind of reconcile how I think of myself with what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think for that reason, and like considering just even telling you that story, how uncomfortable I feel, yeah. and how much I want to like distance myself from that, I think that I found the sort of the idea of the brother narrative, especially seeing those two brothers, potential brothers, like stare at each other from the opposite, yeah. like, opposite sides of a gate. I think it kind of reminded me of wow. um, Jordan Peele's Us a little bit. Mm. The idea of like you could about having like a separate self even wow. that you like stuff full of all of those like repellent things that you don't oh want God. to have to deal with and it's i mean obviously us and joker is like very much i think there's i think with kind of separating people society like societally financially yeah there's also a separation of kind of morals you know like people people who have less recourse to like to doing what they want having freedom and being in control of their lives they yeah. have to deal more with the darker side of of their personalities absolutely and um I do, yeah that's kind of what it meant to me as i thought i thought like formally that film was amazing because it did wow. give you so much opportunity to kind of read into it i think we've both spoken i i've I was when I as soon as I came out of the film, I read your review of it. Oh yeah. And one thing that I wanted to speak to you about was the fridge scene. Yeah. Because I just I just thought it was so perfectly put together. I mean, I was really surprised that the director of the Hangover was <laughs> so had like made such a perfect film in two halves that way. That getting into the fridge moment, that kind of symbolic death. Yeah. It kind of makes you question everything that happens after that. Exactly. Exactly. You you realize that actually this is also someone who may even be like an unreliable narrator. And also, like, I just absolutely love what you've just said about the duality of, um, the, uh, you know, the Joker and, and Bruce Wayne, um, that their kind of origin stories are very much intersecting from violence you know um and I, I love that you compared it to Jordan Peele's Us I think that's really thought-provoking because it is it is so Jungian in terms of like the shadow and the persona 
you know, and, and, and the social mask that we wear because we want to present to the world as a moral human being. We want people to think that, you know, we only have uh, the capability of doing good. But by doing that, we're, we're by default suppressing a lot of urges that are maybe aggressive, hostile, which are perfectly normal in terms of how frequently they, they occur in all of us. It doesn't make us a bad person. It's how we, it's actually how we deal with it that matters. And I just find it very ironic that a lot of the people who've kind of been very eager to prove their morality by rejecting this film or any value from it, in the end, they've been very hostile to the people who love it. It was like something like $55 million to make. And it's on its way to making this, I think after this weekend, it'll be close to $700 million. So it just goes to show that the response has been huge, I think partly because of what you've just said, because people relate to what they're watching in terms of that character's capacity for, in this case, spiraling into a pattern of violence. To go to the extreme of never actually confronting what we're capable of, that actually is the cause for a lot of problems. It doesn't solve anything. Also, I think that um, it's, it's interesting when you say that because I think that there is such a big line between the haves and have-nots. Exactly. When it comes to like being able to like perform morality, yeah. it's so much easier if you're someone that has a lot to live sustainably and you know buy organic and all of those things that we think is you know that we like preach and judge other people for not doing. Yeah. It's, it, you know, just even just small things like that. It's so much easier if you're if you got money if you've got yeah. status if people listen to you and if you're like if you have a resource to like treatment if you're feeling unwell and yeah. all, all of those kinds of things and and I think that to a certain extent like that kind of those people can sort of impose like to impose morality on a group of people who find who it's harder to do all of those things Absolutely. It's, you know, they don't have the money to do all those things they're not they have more to deal with than you know to have time to do all those things that's kind of a violence in itself yeah um there's just like there's like a sort of there's like a sort of socially acceptable violence which is judging other people and you know i was terrified to see this film yeah. i was like i was so scared because I, I, I just found the conversation around it so hostile. Yeah. And I didn't understand what kind of film could have caused that. And having seen it, I realised there's absolutely nothing to be scared of. Yeah. But the fact that I was so affected by all of that judgement is is interesting. It I is. Like, absolutely. It, it damaged my psyche a little bit. I, I was very anxious that week. Yeah, you, you're so right to, to, to raise that because the discourse around it was what was toxic. People, people judging and shaming Joker fans. I think that's the, the real destructiveness because it's already laying out a set of values and morals and trying to influence the way that people perceive it where actually... I think it's fine to have, you know, critical issues with the film if, if, if it doesn't appeal, if it's not to someone's taste aesthetically. That's all fine. But this went beyond that. I think you're absolutely right to say that it, it became a sort of socially acceptable way of being aggressive and hostile. 
um, through that judgment, you know, um, and almost kind of think it was always implied that if you are one of those people that comes out and loves the film, then something's wrong with you. You know, like that's how I read it. Like that's how it came across to me. I I was obviously very unaffected by like I I'm such I'm because I'm a bona fide Joker fan that I it, it didn't it didn't change it, it didn't influence how I perceived it. And you after having seen it obviously it did not influence the way you perceived it. But not a lot of people will have that wherewithal to like come to terms with that. Probably a lot of people will be conflicted because they'll feel like, oh, my God, am I a bad person? Because I kind of related to Arthur Fleck. I understand him. That yeah. stuff is dangerous. It is dangerous. I mean, it's, it's dangerous, but it's obviously also not working because you have so many people who are responding really positively. To this yeah, film. absolutely. The, the people that are going to respond to this film, I think they outnumber the people who you know who aren't responding well to this film yeah <laughs> i think that you know you, you it's so interesting that you say like that you know you feel like alone in this because yeah. i think it's actually a much greater number of people wow. who you know have experienced those kinds of symptoms and those yeah. that sort of feeling of disconnection and isolation and it's actually actually a very very small small number of people that are kind of policing everyone else's response that's to true media and <laughs> culture um and it's nice to kind of be reminded of that sometimes. that is true that is true you're right it's it's important to put it into perspective it is it you're right there are in a very small minority of people who are trying to impose like that opinion in fact um wh one thing that really <laughs> comforts me is searching twitter just under the joker hashtag overwhelmingly it's just ordinary cinema goers who really liked it you know and they're like wow that was a really cinematic experience and that's the type of thing that i love like i love going to the cinema and transcending like when you know the, you know the sequence where um it, after a very pivotal moment in the film when he goes into this dirty old bathroom and locks the door and starts doing this kind of dance yeah oh my god and the beautiful score as well it's really worth mentioning written by Hildur Gudnadottir <laughs> so I'm so sorry if I got it wrong but she wrote she she's a cellist and she wrote the entire score and Todd Phillip played Hildur's music uh, live on the set. And Joaquin just started doing this completely improvised dance. Um, and he had been taking inspiration from this movie called The Old Soft Shoe by a, uh, from a performer called Ray Bulger, who does this very slow motion tap dance. It's very gentle. Joaquin said that that just came to him, like those movements came to him. It sort of signaled the emergence of this Joker transformation. And because he lost all this weight, he said that he grew an increased awareness of his body and his movements. For him, that scene just captured like the sadness and loneliness and complete deprivation of someone dancing alone in a bathroom. Every time I've seen Joker, I wept during that scene, like sobbing. Like it really affected me. Oh, yeah, it really affected me. But I loved it. Like it comforted me because I understood something about his mental state. And my first screening of it was at the um, 
Odeon Covent Garden and it was like with a lot of like superhero fans it was packed and the guy sitting next to me was like munching on his popcorn I was sobbing and he he was like he hit me like like bitch are you okay <laughs> Mustang and they had to like clean it oh up. Oh my god. So we just like sat there like heaving. Yeah. So it's just like one of those situations where it's like you're not going to be able to stop crying. So you might as well just finish the cry. Exactly. Yeah, we went way past the credits. Like the lights had come on. Yeah, like we were so crying. Like, bring people in for the next screening. We were like, we're not finished. <laughs> <laughs> they should have a cry room at cinemas. Like, you know, totally if you're not finished, just go. Yeah. <laughs> You know when he puts on his makeup and he's about to go on the Murray Franklin show and he does the dance on the steps? What did you think about that or any other particular scene? Because I just loved all the dancing going on. <laughs> I liked all the dancing. You know what? I was like, I, this is another thing where I had to face my own hypocrisy. Because I was like, oh my God, like, is Gary Glitter getting royalties for that music? <laughs> and then I was like, what, what do you care, Sarah? You played it like five days ago on Spotify. <laughs> <laughs> It was like one of those moments where I was like, oh, judging someone else for something I've definitely done. <laughs> um, we've all done it. We've all done it. Yeah, we've all done It's a great song, Rock and Roll Part 2. It is. It's really good. Um, but, to but, be, um, but just for the record, he did not get royalties. He didn't get royalties. No. That's interesting. I yeah. wonder that if there's some kind of like, I don't know, if there's some kind of like court-ordained thing. Yeah. When it comes to royalties, now, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, oh, okay, that's good. I mean, it's only she's only got like two good songs. So yeah, it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. Um, but um, when it comes, I don't know. Yeah, I was just very um, uh, quite moved by that kind of transformation. Yeah, which I think can sometimes happen to you in like very depressive states. Yeah, um, like I definitely have. Um, I don't know. Felt. Like you, so you just go through these kind of phases, don't you, as a, as a depressed person? Yeah. When sometimes you you do just have like you can't because you can't really exist in that all the time. You do just kind of have these like moments of levity or moments of transformation or moments of poise. Mm. It's very hard to describe, but I definitely related to it. Yeah. To that sort of like cleaning up process. Yeah. It's almost as if like with mental illness, sometimes a person can feel. Like their their whole world, their identity is a little bit fragmented. So to actually work on a persona or to perfect something that we project outwardly, that becomes a process in itself. And actually, it can it can have a potentially creative value, you know? Yeah, I think it does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix is such an interesting casting for this. I think he's ideal casting because I love... I'm one of those people, I don't, I have love for all the Jokers. Like, I love Cesar Romero, I love Jack Nicholson, even Jared Leto. But of course, I really love, like, Heath Ledger. He was my former favorite. Yeah, I remember him being your favorite. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, now I, I feel like Joaquin and Heath are kind of neck and neck. Um, I have a very strong bond with Joaquin Phoenix because we have, we have the same birthday. <laughs> That's so weird. That's so weird. He's, he's four years older than me. Yeah, yeah, he's four years older than me, but I feel like he's the perfect Scorpio mascot. Like, he is. he's such a, he's like the ultimate Scorpio. I like the fact that he researches things really 
uh, in depth before going taking on a project. So when he was in Lynn Ramsey's amazing film, uh, You Were Never Really Here, um, that character had PTSD. He's a war veteran. Uh, that research then informed the character of Joker in a very meaningful way for him because he completely interpreted Joker's character uh, through the lens of trauma. Do you think that drive to research is it Scorpio thing? Yeah. <laughs> we have that too. We have that too. Yeah. I think so. Love you, Joaquin, if you're listening. <laughs> <laughs> we'll send it to him. Well, yeah, do you have anything else to say regarding Joker? No, no, only to encourage everyone who hasn't seen it to watch it, because I feel like we were pretty spoiler-free. By the time we upload it, it'll still be in cinemas. It'll have a pretty long run. If oh, you no, ha- it's going to be there till Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> You'll probably see me at your screening. The chances are pretty good. <laughs> Um, I, you know, for me, it just ticked all the kind of boxes, the same reasons why I love Black Swan, you know, the whole transformation thing. And uh, I don't know, I don't even know if I told you, Sarah, but the Freud Museum have actually approved an idea of mine to run a Joker course. Are you going to do all of the Jokers? All of the Jokers. That sounds great. You'll sell out. That really good. Now, that was a very rare Minnesota from us because we're not doing it too much now. Yeah. We just thought Joker would be perfect. Yeah. And um, stay tuned for our first Women in Horror episode coming the day before Halloween. Yeah. And check us out on all our socials. We've got exciting news uh, to do with our brand. So. <gasps> yeah, we do. Also, what Mary is doing with our, tw- our social media at the moment with our like 31 day horror challenge is <laughs> so beautiful. I just don't want to touch any of our oh, social media. Oh, thank so you. Like, we're in the grid. It's so gorgeous. We should like continue. Me like, too. Square girl. Um, <laughs> I love it. It's amazing. Thank you. Mm-mm. Thank you so much. And also, please rate and review us. And oh my God, we cannot tell you how important it is. Rate and review us, or use your mouth and tell a friend. Spread the word. We really want to get discovered by new listeners. We think that we think that we have a lot to we think that we have a lot to give. We're here for you. We're like, here for you. Director of Coco Di Coco. <laughs> I'm here for you. Like, this is yeah. You know, film is a safe space for all of your unsafe things, and we're here for you. We're looking out for you. We want the best for you. We oh, appreciate we you. Can we make that our, like, new sign-off? Yes. Instead of just saying bye, just be like, we are looking out for you. We're here for you. Yes, we want the best for you. That seems like a good place to finish. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Does it depress you to know just how alone you really are. To them, you're just a freak. Freak? <laughs> like me. Is it just me? Or is it getting crazier out there? They're only as good as the world allows them to be. I'll show you. When the chips are down, these uh, civilized people, they'll eat each other. state of mind. You've changed things forever. It's a bad joke. Gotham City, this is the 
Joker. <laughs>